Hi, and welcome to episode 187 of the Untethered Podcast. Today we have Kathleen Dung joining us. Kathleen is a speech-language pathologist and Southern California native, currently working in an outpatient setting in a community hospital in California. She has a passion for pediatric dysphagia and has experience across the lifespan in the school's skilled nursing facility, private practice, and inpatient settings. She loves to cook, spend time with friends and family, go to the beach, and all things outdoors. She happened to be a student who took our first inaugural Feed the Peds course back in March 2020, and so I'm super excited to dive into this episode so you can hear all about her journey ever since. Quick disclaimer, all information, content, and material of this podcast are the opinions of the speakers and is for the informational purpose only and not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome to the Untethered Podcast. I am your host, Hallie Balkin. I'm a certified orofacial myologist, feeding specialist, and mentor. This podcast is all about getting your questions answered and collaborating with colleagues to bring you the most up-to-date information in the orofacial myofunctional therapy, tethered oral tissue, and airway space. I challenge you to keep an open mind and join my mission to get this information out to the masses. Let's get started. Kathleen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I'm excited too. So for those who don't know, Kathleen was in our first uh, Feed the Peds course back in March 2020 when the world shut down. And it's, yeah, it's been so fun to see students who are like, you were just out of school, right? At that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had just finished um, my master's and I was just starting my CF. Yeah. And you, I know everybody was kind of like, uh, what do we do now? Like mm-hmm. the world is shut down. We don't know if it'll be like two days, two weeks. Like there were so many unknowns <laughs> and yeah, so it's been really cool to see the journey, especially now that we're like two, two and a half years out from like when the course started to see the journey of how, um, some students in the course, including yourself have evolved. Um, so I would love to just chat about your journey. Cause I think it would be really helpful for other, you know, clinicians who are either in grad school or early on in their career, or even someone who's possibly looking to like make the jump into pediatric feeding. Um, I would love to know, you know, what, like, did you have any big takeaways from taking the course? Like anything that you were like, wow, I wish I had this in grad school or did you have anything that like sticks out in your mind? Well, I wish I had the whole course in grad school. (laughs) We all do. Yeah, (laughs) I feel like it's just now starting to become part of the curriculum um, Mm. because all the dysphagia I got was mostly adult geared. Um, I had maybe two lectures that were for pediatric dysphagia and I was like, wait, I want more. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I don't think I had any. I had zero, Mm -hmm. like no pediatric dysphagia at all. And it was so interesting because I feel like it was a program where we got such a great view on like peds and adults throughout most other areas. So Mm -hmm. the fact that like the dysphagia courses were so heavily focused on adults with like no recognition of pediatrics Mm -hmm. was very fascinating. And I was kind of like, I like this, but I don't want to work with adults. So moving on. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> yeah. So, so tell us, so you came out of school, obviously the world shut down, the pandemic started, you jumped into the course, like what's happened since then? So since then, um, I worked at a private practice where we served a lot of little ones with pediatric feeding disorders. Um, I kind of got my feet wet there um, with some of the school age kiddos and kind of backed into the younger kids um, and did a lot of observations with lactation and some bottle feeding. Um, and then I had the opportunity to work in a community-based hospital setting, which is where I am now. Um, and I do a lot of early intervention um, and a lot more bottle feeding, a little bit of lactation, um, a lot of transitional feeders come to see us. Um, so it's been crazy. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've had quite the ride. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's and it's so cool to see somebody step into this so early on in your career. Cause I always tell everybody, I'm like, I feel like I was thrown in. Like I was interested, but I went to the schools and I was like, cause I started in the schools and I had a three-year contract and I was like, Hey, I want to do home health. Like I want to do infants and toddlers, like send me that way. And they were like, well, you didn't have that experience in grad school. So no, like you can't go that direction. And I was like, I don't like being told no, like <laughs> that's what I really want. This is like not going to be fun. So I started and they gave me like preschool only, which was like unheard of. My entire schedule, full-time schedule was like, I was split between two preschools in the county, like county-based preschools. And so I was at least grateful for that, but they, I was like, okay, can I do feeding? And they're like, no, we don't do feeding. And then all of a sudden a therapist in one of my schools went on maternity leave and I inherited her caseload uh, or parts of it at least. And one of them was a um, medically complex like, you know, kiddos, like a medically complex based classroom, like these kids had their 24 hour nurses with them. And, and here I get IEPs with feeding goals on them. And I like walk in and they're literally, they have the kids next in extension. They're pouring food down their throat. Like, you know, and I'm like, okay, I don't know a lot, but I know that that is not safe. Like what is going on here? So I quickly, like also just threw myself in my CF year to starting like taking as many CEUs as I could get my hands on. And I was so hard to find like applicable information. I was like, I just want someone to give me like a comprehensive course so I can get started and then I'll continue to take more. And yeah, so that was like my pain point in the beginning where I was like, oh, I wish I had, wish I had paid the peds 12 yeah. years ago, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, it was, it was a journey and over like the years then I've also like evolved into working with like different populations and I've had some fun ones. Like I, at one point I was really into working with like children on the spectrum and they were just, I loved like the challenge and getting, you know, figuring out their best ways of communicating. But then I started to notice like their eating patterns and their stomach troubles, like constipation. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and I was like, okay, this is interesting. And that like threw me down another rabbit hole. And then I had my first child and I fell down the Tatsumaya rabbit hole. And here we are. <laughs> here we are. So do you find like, are you doing tongue tie assessments? Do you find like a lot of mouth breathing babies? Or are you doing, you know, are you seeing different things where you are? So it comes in waves. Um, there's like months at a time where we get a lot of tongue tie assessments. Um, and then, but I mean, throughout my practice, when I'm even just evaluating kiddos for language or um, speech sounds, I notice all of that. And 
I definitely incorporate what we learned in the course and your courses that I've taken after um, into my practice and um, just help explain things to parents in a different way. And I've had um, one parent in particular um, say, oh my gosh, it was like a light bulb moment for her. It makes complete sense that, you know, someone um, with the skills that her son had um, obviously has, has difficulty making speech sounds because his tongue's not strong enough or he doesn't have the range of motion. Um, so it's nice to figure out and talk about the why instead of like, okay, they're just not making the sound, but I can't really give you a reason. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I think it's, you know, if you can be relatable with parents, right? Like if they, if you can help connect the dots, because it just feels like, like we get so many parents, even little ones where they're like, they're not talking or I don't understand what they're saying. And other people don't understand, or I understand, but other, you know, their teachers don't. And, and I feel like those are some of like the most common referrals we get are either like speech or feeding based, And they're very obvious things. Right. And then you kind of dive a bit deeper to look at like, well, what's the root cause? Like what's connecting all of these either delays or, you know, disordered, you know, speech or feeding or whatever language, whatever is going on. And you start to look like full body impact, like we talk about, and you start to go like, okay, there's a little bit more going on here. We can totally address this. And I think like when you make those connections for parents are like, whoa, why has nobody else ever told me this? And oh yeah, I mean, it would make sense that they, the function is impaired. Like, obviously, you know, we don't use this, these words necessarily, but like, you know, the parent won't say this back, but the function's impaired because anatomically, like they can't do it, or we need to teach them the skills because of the, you know, they're using compensatory skills right now. Um, so yeah, I think that like the best clinicians are those who like connect with the families and make it easy to understand, like, what's going on, why function is impaired, and like, how are we going to work on this together, right? And I, I feel like that's, that was lacking so much back, like when, you know, I think I first started, um, especially being in the schools, like with IEPs, like it was hard to communicate with a lot of the families. And I'm like, I wish I could just like have a five minute conversation and like learn a bit more about what they present like at home. And we tried, but you know, anyways. So yeah, do you find that like the families where you are, are very interactive? Do you have like a mix? Like what is, like what's been? Yeah, I feel like wherever you go, you'll always have a mix. You have some families who are super involved and they'll email you like twice a day with questions. (laughs) And then you have other families where it's like, okay, let's see if we can like tweak things just slightly so that we can make a little bit of progress this week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And trying to figure out what works best for the families and how you can best support them and their kiddos versus like having this goal and knowing the steps that you need to make towards that goal and trying to have the family kind of fit into your plan. Yeah. Um, Making it a little bit more integrated that way. Yeah. And that, that's the skill that I feel like for some of us feels like so obvious, but I think that it's so, it's so very much so lacking in our industry. And because we have parents come to us and they're like, wow, no one ever explained like the, like they were kind of doing the same thing at the last place, but no one really explained to me why they were doing it. And like, now I get it. Now it makes sense. And, you know, and so parents will leave if there isn't clarity, like they'll want to stop therapy. And so I think also getting like, for those who are interested in being involved, like getting the involvement also Mm -hmm. has a lot to do with like how they connect with you Mm -hmm. and how they see their child connect with you. So yeah, no, I love that. Um, So 
for a new grad or somebody coming out, do you have any like, or not coming out, but someone like coming out of grad school or their CF, or even just again, wanting to transition, even if it's not feeding, like just into another maybe specialty area um, within the field. Do you have any like tips or advice or anything things you feel like you did that was like really beneficial to you? Yeah. Um, so when I started taking the course, I told myself, I'm going to push myself to be better, especially after your first module where <laughs> you said, be that person that you want to be. You are a pediatric feeding therapist. Um, I tried to ask questions where I felt like I couldn't Google the answer and it came through experience or um, mentorship um, and just be curious and always learn and always push yourself to grow because we're never done learning and you're never done growing. And just putting yourself in that mindset that you're not always gonna know the answer and that's okay. And that's where you go to your colleagues and um, other people in the field and your community, like on Facebook. I love that um, we can always ask each other questions there and get lots of different perspectives. Um, to yeah, keep growing and be a better therapist. Yeah, I love that. And um, I don't know if you were in like the free training that I did the week before mm -hmm. I launched the course, but like, like, like you would remember, remember this from two and a half years ago. Um, are you familiar with the Dunning-Kruger effect? Do you know what that is? I vaguely remember it, yeah, remind yeah. me. <laughs> I always bring it up because I'm like, it's that, and I'm going to like butcher it too. Cause like I was, this just like fell into my brain randomly, but it's basically where like, you know, like a new grad graduates and you're like, I'm on top of the world. I know everything like let's go. And then it, then people who have been in the field for like 10, 15, 20 years are like, I know nothing. Like I just need to keep learning. And it's, so it's this interesting like effect where, you know, sometimes we even enter into our field, like ready to take on our patients kind of feeling like, okay, we're new, but also like, I got this. I got what I needed from grad school. And then it's like, you're sitting in front of the patient. You're like, I don't got this. Like, yeah. <laughs> what do they teach me? Yeah. So yeah, we, I feel like we encounter so many speech pathologists who come out of school. Like I've talked to new OTs and, mm -hmm. you know, that are like, I don't know what to do. And it's so hard to find mentorship. And, you know, I don't want to look stupid. And I'm like, look, like at the end of the day, none of us know everything. Like, I don't know everything. People have been teaching for 50 years who have been in the field for 60 years. Like they don't know everything. And I love how you said, like, always keep learning, ask questions, like talk to colleagues. I feel like that is the mentality that we need to have and carry forward. And I feel like I'm seeing a lot more of that in like the newer generations of graduates versus some of like the older generations that are like older than me. Um, because it was really hard when I came out, like nobody wanted to help. And even if I offered to like pay a mentor to help me when I was like, you know, getting certified in Mayo or early on in my feeding days, like it was crickets. Like people just wouldn't respond. And I'm like, just say no, like just say mm -hmm. no. So I know you're not like just totally ignoring me. It was, it's so interesting. And that's also been like part of my mission, like mm -hmm. elevation movement, like let's work together because these patients need us. And if we can't like elevate each other and support each other, then what good are we to the, you know, the rest of the field and the patients it's mm -hmm. yeah. So I love that you're like, you know, saying to push yourself, continue growing. And I think staying curious and just like that, having that fire and desire to like learn more 
is one of the best things that like anybody can just kind of maintain as, you know, that desire as you continue throughout like your entire career, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when I started this position, um, I got close to one of the older therapists who's been working here for, I think, 45 years. And I was talking to her about how, you know, I have all this knowledge and this information and, but I still don't feel like I know what I'm doing sometimes and I need that extra support. And she was like, you know what, Kathleen, give it 10 years. And even then, mm-hmm. you're not going to know everything and you're still going to feel this way. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, I, it's so true. Like even 10 years in 12 years in, you know, I see patient and I'm like, okay, well, take some notes here. And this is just the evaluation. I'm going to ask questions and I'm going to go have some conversations with some colleagues and kind of figure out like, am I even the right, like next step, like, you know, person to treat this child? Should I be treating them and making some other referrals? I mean, I feel like you always get cases where sometimes you get cases and you're like, okay, like I've done this, this is looking kind of like, you know, like what I've seen in the past, like I can definitely help this family. Obviously every patient is different, but like you at least have like, you start to get like a general like groove with like certain, you know, types of patients. And then you always get those patients who have like a diagnosis you've never heard of, or they present, like they come in with a diagnosis and they present completely different than any other child you've ever worked with. And I'm like, okay, what do we do here? So yes, it doesn't get better because, but I think that's also the beauty of what we do. Like it continues to challenge you. And that's what was exciting to me. It was like, it keeps me, it kept me on my toes. Mm -hmm. Like it keeps me learning, talking, trying to figure out like at the end of the day, we're not treating to the diagnosis, we're treating to the Mm -hmm. child and the way the child presents. And I think that too, like just remembering that and seeing like what the child responds to, like that it's like a dance. I would say it's like kind of like a dance between like an art and science. Like mm-hmm. you really have to like put that critical thinking cap on. Cause you're like, okay, where are we going today? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So do you like, and I'm so curious because now that you're like a couple years out of school, do you plan sessions? Like, do you like sit down and like spend time planning like every single session for patients? Or do you kind of just like look at the notes from last time and jump in? Like, what do you do? Oh. It depends. There's some patients where I'm like, okay, I need a little bit more practice. I need more experience with this. I need to pull from these resources. Um, And then there's some kids where like my school-aged kids or my picky eaters where I just do a lot of play-based feeding therapy. And I'll look at the notes. I'll see what they did last week. And then I'll maybe write down on a post-it um, what I want to follow up on. And then we'll just go from there. And it's super fun every time. Yeah, no, I remember like one of my grad school teachers saying something like, oh, the best therapist can just do therapy with whatever's in their purse. And I was like, what? Like in grad school, I was like, "Um, okay. And so she was like, let's open your bag. Like what's inside? And like, we pull out like a pencil. She's like, how would you do therapy with this pencil? We were like, well, who's the patient? And she's like, doesn't matter. How would you do therapy? We were like, what? And then as like, as I, you know, moved away from my earlier years as a therapist, I think I was probably like four or five years into it. I was still traveling to a lot of patients' homes. And I just remember being like, I can't carry all this stuff. Like my trunk is full, but like, there's gotta be a limit. And finally I was like, 
I don't actually need all this stuff. Like I, like I had the nickname, the bag lady, people call me the bag lady. Cause I like always came in with like the fun bag, the toys and materials and all the stuff. And so I would go into like some preschools and see like, you know, a bunch of kids back to back and anyways. So yeah, at the end of the day, like I was like, I mean, I can do therapy out of my purse. It's not always the most fun therapy when you're working with little kids. So, but yeah, I got to the point where like, I just wasn't planning anymore. I would literally like open up their file and their EMR at the beginning of the session and be like, okay, what did we do last week? What did I ask them to do over the week? Okay, great. Let's go. And that was like liberating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was so fun. So yeah. Um, so yeah. So what like, any other like suggestions if someone's kind of like nervous to jump into the peed feeding world because they're like, fearful of working with the patients or like, I feel like I get that a lot. Like people are like, I don't want to hurt anybody. Like, I don't want to mm-hmm. do make the wrong choice and like hurt a patient. Cause like, this is medical. It's not like, mm-hmm. you know, playing games and building language, not mm-hmm. to downplay that, but you know, yeah. <laughs> there's a medical yeah, component exactly. here. Um, <laughs> any like advice as like a, you know, a therapist now who's been doing this for a few years? Yeah. You know, other therapists who have more experience have always you know, talk to me about this too. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to be nervous. If you're not nervous, then there's an issue, (laughs) you know, um, taking the time to find a supportive team and find a mentor like you have and feed the peds, um, to use as a resource and to talk about, cases um, and evals before they come to have a good plan so that you feel confident and growing your skill set that way um, I think is a really good place to start because like you tell your patients you need practice if you don't have practice you're not gonna get better or grow you're just gonna stay stagnant in the same place so you need to do the same things and pushing yourself is hard but you feel so much better afterwards and you, you know, having this community and support system um, makes worlds of a difference in your practice. You know, you're not only going to work with just whatever size team you're working with, you have all these other people, all these other therapists with um, different viewpoints and different experiences to help you grow and to help you learn. I love that. I love that. And I love how you said, like, you should have a little bit of like angst or fear or something like when you're basically starting out. Right. And, and it's so true. Like they always say that like anything that you're not afraid of is like not worth doing. Like it, you know, I always tell, cause I also do business coaching. Like I tell like business owners, even I'm like, they're like, I'm feeling some like anxiety or I'm feeling like some fear, like creeping up. Like, who am I to do this? Like, why me? Like, why, why, you know, why me? And I'm like, look, like, that, that means that this is something exciting that you want to do and that you are, you're pushing yourself forward and you're feeling this because it's new. And, you know, it's like, you're, you're about to jump into something you've never done before. And obviously there's like different levels of like, you know, angst over things, but I love how you brought that up because when I see therapists who are like, I think there's a difference between being competent, confident, new, and still having like a little fear of like, oh my gosh, like, am I really doing this? And, you know, starting and being like, right. And still, but still then kind of growing into that confidence more and more. And on the flip side, it's like a very dangerous place to be if like ego is driving things. And there's like this false sense of like 
self-esteem or self-importance because like, oh, I've got all the information and I know what I'm doing. And you've never actually touched the page, like a patient a day in your life. You know, it's, um, I think when ego drives things like that's dangerous. And so, yeah, I love that you brought that up because I think it's, it's almost important that you have that and you recognize that everybody experiences that and it's okay. And if you didn't, like, we might be a little concerned. <laughs> a smidge. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's okay to be confident, but also like, be like a little bit like, you know, like, oh my gosh. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. So are there any other tips, anything we haven't like covered that you would say to a newer therapist in this space, whether they're new to SLP or just new to feed feeding? Um, I mean, kind of like what you say when you talk about um, the course, invest in yourself. You're worth it. You're worth the time. You're worth the money. Um, you can do lots of things if you persevere and you push through and you have a growth mindset and know that you're not always going to have the answer. It's okay not to know. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to be vulnerable because um, that's how you better yourself for not only your own clinical practice, but your patients and serving um, whatever community you are. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I love this. Like the whole growth mindset thing, you know, it's like growth over comfort, right? Like you can either stay comfortable or you can grow. Like they don't really go together. And I think that when you can really truly step into taking on those challenges and learning from those, you know, what's put in front of you, um, obviously you become more capable, you develop your skill set, you increase your confidence. And, um, and yeah, I think it's so rewarding. Like it just, this space, like working with these patients, at least my experience has been that it, it's a challenge, but when you maintain that growth mindset and you, you know, you just kind of push forward, like it is, it's such rewarding work mm -hmm. because you're literally changing like the future of that patient's life. You know, they're, whether they're not able to get proper nutrition because of their feeding challenges. And now they can, you know, um, they're developing their own motor skills, they're able to keep their mouth closed, maybe they got their tongue up, they can breathe through their nose, you know, it's like all those beneficial side effects of like the work that we do too. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's so important to also like take a step back and like look at it from like, oh wow, like I've been doing this work like for a couple of years. Look at how many lives have changed, like look how many lives I've touched, you know, and that reflection I think is really important as well because I think so many of us like a lot of us focus on like, go, 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 grow, grow, grow. And I'm like, okay, let's all pause and reflect as well. Um, because it is, it's tough work. And like, I really do think you have to be a critical thinker to function in this space. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really easy with social media and everything to compare yourself to other people and think, okay, they're able to do this in this amount of time. And you see the can sometimes see the journey there, but sometimes it, they don't show you all of the difficulties and all the things that come with it and what it takes. So just try not to put a lot of pressure on yourself to get there too soon and just enjoy the journey and enjoy the ride yeah. um, will definitely help. <laughs> love that. I love that. And, and that whole piece of it too, like taking the time you need to take to develop your skills and 
asking the questions like we've talked about and allowing yourself to become a critical thinker, I think is so important because like when you talk about social media, you know, I get messages all the time, like, Hey, what are the exercises you do before a phrenectomy? Hey, like, what do you do for this? And I'm like, it's not that cut and dry. Like I can give you some exercises. You're still going to have to figure out who needs what and who doesn't need what and what else they might need beyond what I've given you or what you might need to modify when working with a certain patient. It's like not, you know, it's like, I can give you a whole library of exercises, but that doesn't actually totally tell you how to do therapy. Like you need to know what you're doing, why you're doing it, what you're working on, what the end goal is. And like, how are you trying to accomplish that? And I know you touched on that earlier too, but that was like one of our big goals. I was like, I feel like I left all these courses and I was kind of like, I don't know what to do. Like I have some ideas for a couple patients, but like after that, then what? And I also think that was my mindset. Like coming out of school was kind of like, well, just tell me what to do and I'll go do it. Mm -hmm. And you know, so like, it's, I don't blame any therapist who comes and asks for that, but then I'm kind of like, pump the brakes. Like let's have a conversation. (laughs) Critical thinking. Like we seem to have lost like this whole, like even me, I was like, we seem to have lost the ability to be critical thinkers, like analyze what's in front of us and create a treatment plan based on the patient, not like a protocol. So yeah, that's, that was like a big, big goal of ours. Um, and I'm hoping that it's evolving more in our industry again. (laughs) Do you feel like it was something like coming out of the course? Do you feel like you were able to kind of look at a patient and like have an idea of at least how to assess and maybe where to start treatment? Like, where were you with that? Yeah, I definitely felt like with the really simple cases who weren't really medically complex, I could figure out a plan for assessment and treatment. Mm -hmm. Um, It was the more complex kiddos where I was like, okay, wait, I know what to do. I need help. (laughs) This is what I'm thinking. What else are you thinking of? And what else can I do to make sure it's a thorough assessment and they're getting um, good treatment and, um, I know, and can feel like I'm doing a good job. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's part of it too, right? It's like, we, it it is like a two-way street, right? Like you're helping the patient, but it's also like the work we do feels really good, especially when they're, you know, making progress and the caregivers are like less stressed and they're happy and things are moving in the right direction. And yeah, I mean, those, those medically complex kiddos, like they are challenging sometimes. And it's one of those situations where you're like, okay, like, are there any contraindications if we do this? And uh, do, is there, has anybody worked with this population? So I know <laughs> there are like certain things I should consider that I'm missing. And, and I think that's what makes pediatric feeding so complex too, because like, we don't always know when we get these patients that they have some of these other things going on. And sometimes it's like, not until you've like, are already working with them. And then like things start to pop up and you're like, wait a second, like what's going on here? Like, what, did I miss something? Was it just not super visible to me? Cause I'm a newer therapist. And I will tell you, even, you know, as a therapist, 12 years into it, it still happens. Like you get these kids, right. They come to you. Maybe you're the first provider. Maybe you're the 10th, but like they come to you <laughs> maybe you were, you know, they've got great history that you've reviewed, but there's nothing documenting like, you know, that they have airway considerations. And all of a sudden this kid has like laryngomalacia. Like they come to you and you see it and you're like, there's something going on. I'm not really, I can't diagnose it. So I can't say it is or it isn't, but you know, and then they go to the ENT and the ENT's like, they're fine. And you're like, they're not fine. And you know, and it's like this like dance of like, okay, well now what do we do? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, 
it still happens. And I think that that's where that critical thinking component comes in. Cause like, then it's like, well, mm-hmm. what is safe for this child? Mm-hmm. And what do I feel comfortable, you know, advising this family on like, what's in my scope? Who else mm-hmm. can maybe see them? Like what, you know, in terms of other specialists that maybe will help us figure out what's going on. And mm-hmm. that all, you know, that all grows out of that critical thinking component of not just like, oh, I have to assess them and I have to treat them and dismiss them. And once they can kind of like drink, like they're dismissed, like, no, not because they can, you know, gulp yeah. down a bottle despite mm-hmm. the surrounding symptoms or compensations. No, like let's mm-hmm. figure out what's actually going on and try to like, you know, dig a bit deeper, treat it from the root of the issue. Um, but yeah, that's, that's one of the things too, that we've had a lot of feedback on. And so we're developing some more advanced mm-hmm. courses oh, now. I was going to ask if that was coming. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. We, it's now the wheels are in motion. We're like okay. kind of trying to nail down an outline and start to figure out who's going to educate, you know, in some of these courses and, um, uh, but really, yeah, to dive deeper into some of these nuances and, you know, and that will also be tied to a certification if people are interested, but we're figuring it all out because everyone's like, we need more. I'm like, okay, <laughs> we're working on it. Yeah. And I mean, when you get those complex kiddos too, that's where I'll go and collaborate with my PTs and my OTs and yes. other physicians and school therapists and other people that they're seeing so that it's a really comprehensive treatment too. Yeah. And that's, that's so important. I mean, it's like, if I haven't drilled that into everybody's head, like either through the course or my podcast or whatever, I'm like teamwork, collaboration, <laughs> like figure out, you know, and, and it just, I always, like I've shared this, I feel like a couple of times lately on recent podcasts, but like, I just remember sitting around my kitchen table, like it was a Mayo case of a 10 year old, but I just remember sitting there looking at a case and how every different professional sitting around the table from like osteopath to PT to oral surgeon, dent, you know, airway dentist, RDH, me, you know, like vision therapist, like we all saw something different on that patient, but it was all such valuable information that was like so critical to the treatment plan. And it really helped us figure out, okay, what first and what, what is our approach going to be? And then if we see X, we're going to do this. If we see Y, we're going to go this direction. And, you know, and I know that's like in a perfect world and we don't all get to do that all the time, but it's just like the beautiful, you know, perfect world scenario that lives in my brain. And I'm like, if we can all just do that, that would be great. <laughs> but that is nice that you're able to collaborate. So do you have um, a lot of those professionals available, like, you know, accessible, I should say, you know, where you work now? Yes, I'm super lucky to have other pediatric PTs and OTs. Um, and at our hospital, our OTs and our speech therapists do feeding. Um, so I'm able to do co-treatments with them and we can get more eyes on the little ones and again, have different perspectives and just all learn from each other and grow and make sure that all of our patients get the best care. I love that. I love it. Well, I'm so excited for you. I mean, like you're so early on in your career, but like you're so far already Um, just because you really jumped in and kind of figured out like, Hey, I want to learn more about this. And that's really allowed you, I think, to step further into this space, probably like, even though you're what you're two and a half years, like out of school now Mm -hmm. at a grad school. Yeah. I'd say like, I feel like your um, skills because of the populations you work with could arguably be, you know, in the pediatric feeding space and other, you know, other spaces you've worked in, 
could arguably be more advanced than someone who's been in SLP for 10, 12, 15 years, just because <laughs> of the exposure and the mentorship and the coursework and the patience you've had. And, you know, and I think that's what we also need to kind of recognize and appreciate in the field as well, because I think that, you know, it used to be very, um, ageist where it's like, well, I have 15 years of experience, so I'm superior to you. And I was like, chop that off right now. Like none of that. We don't have that here. <laughs> no, like it's not a competition. Number one, number two, just cause you've been in a field longer doesn't mean that you have more experience in a given area, you know? And yeah, so I just, I love making things more accessible so that, you know, opportunities like what you've had, being able to step into PD feeding so early in your career are there and you can really choose like, Hey, do I want to do this or do I want to go a different direction and have that information accessible? So I get so excited when I see like, <laughs> when I see graduates from the course and you guys are peed feeding therapists and like, I know you do other peed work too, but like, it's so cool to, to see the evolution. Yeah. And I'm so thankful for the course. I mean, I think the timing was perfect and I think it was just meant to be. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I couldn't be happier where I am. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us and all of your, you know, thoughts and advice, even for other therapists who are newer to, I mean, this really applies to like any space, you know, it's not just peed feeding. It's the kind of advice that whether you're a new therapist or you want to go into a new specialty within the field. Um, I just think it's, it's good to hear and to like have that encouragement from like, you know, someone who's done it and has lived through it and, you know, and you're like kind of on the other side of it now. And you're like, okay, like I'm still learning, but yay, like I can do this. So, so congratulations. It's awesome. Well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you want to hear more of these Mayo Tots airway and feeding related episodes, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash the untethered podcast. If you found value, others you know in this space will too. So be sure to share this episode on your social media platforms and join us over on Facebook, on my Facebook page at Hallie Balkan Biz, on Instagram at, at Hallie Balkan. And you can head over to the untetheredpodcast.com to grab a copy of the show notes um, where you can also subscribe to be kept up to date on the latest podcast episodes. 